Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I do, I do love um, the opportunity to gather with you in this way each and every day. Thank you to those of you who not only listen regularly, but apparently listen around the clock and, um, and heard uh, the conversation that my husband Jim and I had yesterday afternoon on Bill Arnold's program, co-hosted yesterday by Peter Kapsner, which they do on Wednesdays, and they have, they're having an ongoing conversation about prayer. So they invited um, Susie Larson and her husband, uh, Kevin, last week. And then this week it was uh, me and my husband, Jim, or Jim and I, I don't know if it's, uh, I am a Jim and I, but Jim and I uh, were on yesterday. And so uh, here is a follow-up question from uh, uh, a listener, a regular listener in Simsbury, Connecticut. So I heard the interview uh, yesterday, um, and then he goes on to say some complimentary things. And then he offers this question. How does one transport 225 pounds of elk meat? (laughs) Uh So this is apparently, uh, Peter, the most important question that uh, that came out of our conversation about prayer yesterday. It was questions about (laughs) there are questions about hunting elk. And so uh, now people are going to really, really want to go and listen to the podcast of our conversation. Well, I think understandably so, Carmen. I mean, Bill and I, even after the episode, as we walked out of the studio together, we we were legitimately dumbfounded by by what it might require. And we were wondering. And so I have a follow up question for you as you as you dragged this uh, 225 pound elk out of the wilderness. Do you, do you have a sled? Like, how does this work? Bill and I, we were, li- we were, we were like, you know what? Okay, we are two suburban kids. Totally... We have no idea. I know. Okay. Well, so on this particular trip, um, oh, I'm not, I wasn't there. The only time I have ever been on uh, one of these elk hunting expeditions, no elk were seen the entire week. <laughs> and so that is affectionately remembered as the armed camping trip. Um, <laughs> and so I don't go anymore, and I think because I don't get to go. Like, right? So right. I think I'm—I mean, it's not that I'm unwelcome, but not appreciated in that particular environment, which is fine because there are some men's men who go with him. And on this particular expedition, uh, Chance was with him, and Chance Williams. And Chance is a great guy, and uh, Chance had never been on an elk hunt before, but he's a hunter. And so that he and Jim went, and they— um, they have a number of stories about that particular trip, but you're right. How do you transport 225 pounds of elk meat off of a mountain six miles yeah, from no way. your vehicle? There's no way. Right. Yeah. So they packed out. They you you pack out as much as you can the first time. You cover what's left um, with the material that you brought with you out there, and then some red pepper so that no uh, predators get your meat overnight. Um, and so they carried out the first load. And then they had the very discussion that we're having now. How are we going to pack out the rest in one trip? Because we can't keep going in and out. Like we just, there's just, your, your body just like, right, she just can't do that. So, um, so they, they packed out like a hundred pounds on that first day, 50 pounds each. And then, you know, how are we going to go get the rest of it? And they decided they would go to town and buy a wheelbarrow. 
<laughs> of course, because okay. why wouldn't you? A wheelbarrow elk that matches so, up perfectly, right? I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you the stories related to that are historic and worth um, worth another interview um, with Jim and maybe Chance because Chance has quite a voice and would be fun to talk with on the air. No question about it. Oh, that's great stuff. Okay. No, it was it was brilliant. We literally were just we, we looked at each other and said, "Well, probably after two and a half feet, I'm going to tap out at that moment." I mean, I'm not even sure I could get it to move two and a half feet. So the idea that you and Jim some, will sometimes hunt for meat and that you had that story—I mean, the, the prayer episode was as good as it gets in my mind. Yesterday afternoon, you guys were just so great, and it was so delightful to hear Jim's voice into this and and just the substance that he brought. And the, and then the elk thing came in the midst of it, and <laughs> we walked away just thinking that was brilliant. All right. For more of that, you got to go to MyFaithRadio.com. You got to find um, the podcast from yesterday's episode of uh, Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Um, Peter Kapsner and I are going to talk about other stuff. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner, who um, just the fact that he is a doctor thoroughly intimidated my husband. Um, <laughs> just, I know, just the I fact that your him. husband can shoot a 225-pound elk thoroughly intimidates <laughs> no, no. me, I have to tell no, you. No, no, it's 225 pounds of meat. Oh, the of elk meat. itself is like, uh, is like nearly 1,000 pounds. I see that, and now I'm even more intimidated. 800 pounds. Yeah, yeah, I, oh, yeah. I mean, the elk are huge. I, mean, I, they're like they, I would huge. imagine. And they're magnificent. And let me just say to everybody who now, you know, the animal rights people who are listening, um, we we thank God every time we sit down um, over a meal that features um, one of these uh, amazing um, pieces of meat. In fact, last night we had elk for dinner and we looked at each other and shared with uh, the kids at our table about what we had shared on air and everybody blessed God for mm. um, for the meal. I love that. I love uh, yeah. that. That's brilliant. <clears throat> So, okay, so uh, let's talk about some other things. Um, I have education on my mind. I've had education on my mind now for a while because um, everybody is at home all the time. Right. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on. I'm reading a piece in the Star Tribune called Woke Revolution Looms for Minnesota Schools. Uh, what is this about? Yeah, I read that as well, Carmen. It really is a pretty substantial change in what what I would consider the heartbeat of the curriculum that the state is going to be bringing related to educating our students. And I'd rather maybe stay out of the, the heat of the politics of the moment uh, in terms of what that curriculum is going to be. Clearly, it's, it's going to be what I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with in terms of things related to systemic racism, to whiteness, to LGBTQ conversations, and, and all of of these curricular changes are, are going to be coming where there's going to be some state mandates, it appears, that teachers are going to have to engage with in the classroom with their students. And I think that's one of the most challenging things for our teachers among us. And, and I was an educator. My original degree, believe it or not, was elementary education. And, and thank goodness that they never sicked me into the classroom with, with their young students. We had had a great time. They just wouldn't have learned anything. And and in that, but in that time, I met so many beautiful teachers that really cared about the well-being of the students. But many of them also, especially my believing friends who are teachers, 
we're constantly having to hold attention. Do, do the state mandates of what I have to teach, do they line up with what I believe about the values of the kingdom? And how do I do that as an instructor? And boy, I bet if, if we opened up the text line or had listeners call in that were teachers, we would have endless stories. The two of us would be able to share with teachers who have found ways sort of off the record and, and off the radar to continue to shepherd and disciple these young children. But it's not easy. It, it, it really is filled with tension. And I I think that tension is only going to grow. And I think what went through my mind as I was considering this article, as I was considering our conversation this morning, is that beautiful passage from Proverbs where it says to train up your children in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they will not quickly depart from it. And I I think I would have grown up thinking that that passage would have meant something akin to teach your children proper Bible verses, and of course do that, or have proper theological conversations with them, and of course do those sorts of things. But if, if you and I were walking out life in the Hebrew community to whom those Proverbs were written, I think we might see it through a slightly different lens. And instead of training them up in sort of propositional truth or doctrine or dogma or whatever you want to call that, it was much more the idea of Uh, raise your children in the context or fabric of a community of people who hedged them in with with the voices of their identity, the voices of their story, the voices of who they are as God's children. Uh, It really is akin to those, those British hedges that for people who have been in the United Kingdom and you drive down the roads, sometimes you might want to go sightseeing in, in Wales or something like that. And you don't actually ever see anything because the hedges on each side of the road are so thick and impossible to get through that you just end up driving down the path because you can't stray from that path. You can't move through those hedges. And the Hebrew people would have had their children growing up within a community that, of course, was father and mother, but also represented a a whole people that were telling them the stories about what was true. And I I bring that up, Carmen, because I think we're going to have to figure out how to navigate into the future as believers what does it mean to train up our children in that way when the state is going to be mandating curriculum that I think any fair-minded person would say is going to be pretty antithetical to God's kingdom? It, it isn't just hold the tension where the state and the church can kind of work together, swimming in the same stream, driving down the same lanes, kind of parallel lanes, and, and hearing voices that are similar to, to that of the kingdom. I think, again, any fair-minded person would suggest some of what the state is going to be mandating is not necessarily about discipling or equipping or empowering our young people. It's it's a bit more about power in terms of what we want everybody to think. And, of course, that's the nature of political power. It's almost always levied in that way. It's about what do we want the future to think? How do we want them to perceive themselves? And it's going to be a pretty big challenge, right? I mean, for us as parents, for grandparents, for whoever's working in churches, what does it mean to train up or to hedge our children in with the story of faith when these voices are going to be changing so substantively into these next few years. Absolutely. And so, like, as you're talking, I am reminded of the conversation we had with Rod Dreher about the Benedict Option. I'm reminded about the conversation that we had um, uh, about uh, resilient disciples um, and how— I mean, that's actually a website. I'm trying to remember now. Awana has now completely, utterly transformed from top to bottom what it's doing. Mm. Um, and it's now called Resil- Resilient Disciples um, because this is at the core of the issue. I'm reminded of the conversations that we've had um, about uh, Paul. Help me out here. The guy from the Christian Educators. Oh, um, David Shoes. Yeah. The conversations we've had with David Shoes about, you know, Christians in not only public education, but Christian educators, you know, across the board, like they're 
there are conversations for us to have here. I am of the um, conviction that the time is ripe for a complete transformation and overhaul of public education. Actually, the delivery of education um, in the United States of America in in, in every way. I think that the disintermediation that's available through technology um, offers really extraordinary opportunities. The experience that people have now had over the course of the last year with the utter failure of schools to actually deliver um, on promises made. Um, And yeah, we do have a ton of really wonderful educators out there. So how can we best use them, empower them, um, utilize them, draw them into an environment where they can really be free to teach not only um, in, in, you know, really, in really good ways, that really good pedagogy, but to actually teach really good content, yeah. like teach right, right stuff. So I think those, those conversations are coming. Um, I think those conversations are being had among some. Um, and gosh, I just want to be, you know, I want to not just be an over uh, somebody who overhears that. I want to be somebody who participates mm. in imagining a really different future for education in America. I mean, I, you know, the, even the conversation we have with George Barna, like that's what he's talking about. He's like, that's what we need. Um, we need a, uh, we need people to be recatechized, like think, learn to think again and learn to think rightly again. All right. You and I have to take a very brief break when we come back. Um, Maybe we uh, conclude this portion of the conversation, and then I really want to talk about um, toys. Could we do that? <laughs> of course. That'd be brilliant. Yes, you know. of course. <laughs> All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, that, that, is, that is clearly a nod. <laughs> I mean, Paul Perot once again, right, Carmen? I just just so clutch in the moment with that music. That was brilliant. All right, you, somebody somebody other than me needs to tell people okay. because I'm yeah, Paul, Carm- yeah, this is this is you, Paul. That's yes. Carmen. Sundays on the way from 1983. He was the guy who uh, passed away just a couple of days ago. Here, I know, um, and he and he's the Car- more famous Carmen. But like, Carmen, there's totally a void now. That. Carmen, there's a he void. Does, I'm just saying. Spell, he How, does how's spell singing? our name wrong. <laughs> I would say if Carmen could be practicing her, her, her vocal pipes or her singing this weekend, I think mm, we're, I mean, there's mm, a void mm, to step mm, into, mm, Carmen. This is just mm, a natural synergy. Yeah, it's easy. This is easy. What, um, what the singer Carmen and I share is a heart for Jesus and a desire that people come to know him as Savior and Lord. Uh, the singer Carmen, um, who has now gone to sing with the Heavenly Choir full time, um, approached this proposition of evangelical ministry differently than uh, the Carmen, this Carmen of the spoken word. <laughs> okay. There you go. I think that's fair. That's I think that's fair. How's that? But, but you How's are that? swimming in the same stream. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes opportunity is, well, okay, we'll leave it there. <laughs> he did spell our name wrong. I don't know what else our to say. About it. So, I mean, I, I can now, now everyone can just refer to Carmen and spell it correctly. There you I go. I think that's fair. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, which my uh, little uh, grandchild has now noted is just a is just a compound word. Carmen. Yeah, she knows how to spell car and she knows how to spell men. So She's she like, put you're just, together. You're just a compound word. I'm like, <laughs> that's great. Mm-hmm. You've reduced me mm-hmm, to that. That's good. I'm a. Cry. She doesn't think I've gone to kindergarten either. Periodically, because really? you know. Well, because uh, okay. So I know this is off topic, but um, periodically, you know, you ask little children questions that obviously you already know the answer to, but you are doing it as a way of encouraging them to tell you something, right? Of course. And so, right. so I asked her one of these, you know, 
questions the other day. She put her hands on her hips and she looks at me and she goes, did you not go to kindergarten? <laughs> she called out her grandmother I mean, like, for like, your I'm, educational I'm background. Like, furrowed <laughs> brow and everything. Hands on hips, furrowed brow. Like, did you not go to kindergarten? Oh, I know. Did, there, did there you go? go. To, did I'm, you... I am... He must have gone she's to LinkedIn mine, almost immediately. She's she's not mine, but she should be. Okay. <laughs> That's so um, great. Yeah. So um, let's talk about toys. Oh, let's see. Uh, did you have a favorite toy as a child? Did I? Oh, I. It was Legos. I mean, I you know I know that's mm. cliche, but I love no, to build stuff, no. and then and then we built like little Lego weapons and threw it at the Lego ships that we built, and so yeah, it was it was quite the experience. And I, I will say this: the one uh, quick story again off topic, but we once built a Lego gun of some kind. It was a, it was a plank of wood that we carved out a little notch in the end of the wood, and then we we taped a rubber band into that notch so we could draw it back to a clothespin that we had super glued onto the other end of the wood, and then the in between the rubber band we would put those good i think there were six peg legos they were they're kind of they're a little heavier than the rest of them and you could fit them in between the, the rubber bands and then you would release that clothespin and that thing would fire with such velocity and we didn't have the lego helmets that that we have now so we were consistently wounded and i think the last part of the story my mom had once filled all of the holes in our basement walls that that young boys tend to put in the, she had just done all of that work and then we legoed those walls like she came down and was horrified by about 150 new dents in the walls from our Lego gun. So that was maybe my favorite toy growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, mine was a definitely uh, a softball mitt. A softball mitt? Well, I mean, you know, I, I played softball like every day. So you did. I'm not yeah, sure. Right. I mean, like toy-wise, yeah, nothing's coming to mind. There was definitely um, a Barbie camper um, <laughs> because I remember that, but that was definitely my sister's. Like, I remember the Barbie camper. I remember, like, there being, like, a setup by our pool in Tampa and Barbie being out there, but I I don't I'm I don't recall being a person who particularly enjoyed that. But that does bring me to the action figure conversation. Indeed. Why are you and I talking about toys today? Well, it sure seems like Hasbro has been part of the cancellation of one of the main characters in the Mandalorian series. Uh, Gina Carino is her name, and she was actually I I've really enjoyed the Mandalorian series. It sort of has redeemed some of the Star Wars universe for me, who's a bit of a Star Wars knucklehead and and didn't appreciate the prequel series uh, or or even some of the last three. I, I was glad to be back in the Star Wars universe, but but the writing of the Mandalorian and seem to reflect maybe some of the original intentions of Lucas with that first uh, set of three. So we've really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed her character. But, of course, recently she was canceled from the show. She was canceled a bit from our culture because of what were perceived to be some uh, tweets that equated the current regime of the United States of America to Nazi Germany. And, and I think that's a completely unfair tweet. Anytime we're doing that kind of comparison, we're sort of out of bounds. But I think it also then people rebelled against her cancellation because the the lead character of the show, the Mandalorian himself, Pedro Pascal, had once tweeted something similar during the Trump administration. And so both of these main characters had tweeted the same kind of comparison of Nazi Germany to one of our administrations, one being Biden and the other being Trump. One was canceled and one wasn't. And Hasbro has now canceled her toys and her figurines and everything around that. So it just it goes back to what we think we were talking about earlier, Carmen. I think very little of this has to do with shepherding, discipling, equipping, raising, training up our young people. And it really is about power and perceptions of what people need to think as they are growing up in life. And, and that can be mandated by the state, but that can be obviously the internet and censorship conversations that a lot of people are having right now. It can even be then in the kind of toys that we have and what we're willing to represent. And so it's pretty interesting to see when power begins to bear its teeth, 
how it plays itself out, and especially when that power associates itself with that which is virtuous and good and right. And and that tends to happen on either side of the political aisle, where it's, again, not necessarily about equipping our kids. It's much more about asserting power. Yeah. So um, what our kids play with and how they play and what we provide for them to play with is um, an interesting part of the conversation in terms of worldview. Um, so just want to encourage people to think about that today. Uh, there is sort of the ongoing politicization of everything, but there need not be. And right. so, um, you know, let's find ways to I know where I live. Kids are going to be outside today doing something they rarely get to do, which is sled. Mm. Um, <laughs> so and uh, and so uh, pray for me because I will be out doing something which I rarely do, which is sled. There you go. Carmen, I think that you have to post something on TikTok later this afternoon of you sledding. I tell you, if you're, sing, yeah, well, if you're singing and sledding. Because I don't, I'm not on TikTok. Uh, I don't even know what it I is. Post, I just made it up. I could yeah. post on like Facebook Live. I know okay, how to do, do that. It. I would watch it religiously. If, if, if we, I would gather our friends together to watch you sled down a hill this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's happening. Okay, um, there we go. Peter Kapsner. We got to leave it right there. We're out of time. Sounds Love good. It, Talk to you Thank soon. You. Yep, see ya. Okay. Bye. Break points up next. Team Baal versus Team Yahweh. That's it. That's that's what I got. That's what's that's what we're doing next. It's a throwdown right here. It's called the God Contest. Carl Lafferton is going to be here. We're going to showcase mm-hmm, what people most people don't know uh, about the contest. Not only between good and evil, but between. The gods of this world and the God who is. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is Max Lucado. Note the preposition of. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts, not love for God. God hands a bucket of love to the Spirit and instructs, douse their hearts. There are moments when the Spirit enchants us with sweet rhapsody. You belong to the Father, signed, sealed, and soon to be delivered. Been a while since you heard Him whisper words of assurance? Then tell Him. He's listening to you, and He's speaking for you. Romans 8 and verse 26 says, The Spirit comes to the aid of our weakness. Weak bodies, weak wills, weakened resolves, whether we are feeble of the soul or body or both, how good to know it's not up to us. Verse 26 of Romans 8 says, The Spirit Himself is pleading for us. This is Max Lucado. All right, joining me now, Carl Lafferton. He is an author, and today we are featuring a new book uh, by Carl. It's entitled The God Contest. Carl, welcome back. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So this is a book um, that fits in the context of, uh, of a series of books. Remind us, um, remind us about what you're doing with this series of books and where The God Contest fits in. Sure. Thank you. So uh, as well as being a kid's author, I serve as EVP Publishing at, at the Good Book Company. 
And um, so this this my latest uh, kids book, The God Contest, it, it sits in a series called Tales That Tell the Truth, where we're trying to um, tell biblical stories faithfully um, so that Christian parents love their kids reading them. And we're making sure that they're told in a way that's winsome and whimsical and illustrated fantastically so that kids love to read them um, for the illustrations, for the for the joy of um, just the way the words are written and so on. Um, and so we've, I think we've got about 10 or 11 in the series now, uh, Carmen, including, I read a book a few years ago called, um, the garden, the curtain and the cross. Um, and yeah, the God contest came out a month or so ago. Yeah. So in the, um, in the series, tales that tell the truth, um, you guys know that we have, uh, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know, that we have featured a number of these books, um, the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. Today, the God Contest. Um, I will say that uh, in my family, um, the the one about the prisoners and the earthquake is quite uh, quite popular and beloved. Um, lots of really really good books uh, in in this series. So I want to commend those um, to you. All right, uh, Carl. Let's talk specifically about the God Contest. Because this is a this is really like a throwdown. So why frame the story about God um, in this way as a contest? Yeah, great question. I mean, in a, in a way, it's it's uh, it's not a contest in the sense that there's only one true God, and He triumphs over all false gods and false worldviews and false philosophies. But um, the the book was born really um, out of a conversation I had with my son not long after he'd started in school when he was five. And he was, for the first time, coming across uh, other boys and girls who believed very different things than we had taught him from the scriptures at home. And one evening he just was explaining to me what some of his friends had said about God. And he just said, how can we know that we're right? And I that was a great question. I was glad he was asking it. And I wanted to take him to a story in Scripture, a narrative in Scripture, uh, rather than just sort of giving him the doctrine, as it were. And so in the end, I told him the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, uh, you know, with the prophets of Baal having this contest effectively to see which of these two gods, uh, the, the, the true God of the Bible and the false God Baal, could, could set their altar on fire. And of course, um, there's that wonderful moment in First Kings 18 where fire falls on the mountain after Elijah has has prayed to Yahweh, um, and so I just I just wanted to map that out for my son to say, look, here is the real God proving in history uh, that He is the real God and that we can trust Him uh, and that we should follow Him, and then of course um, explain to him that um, supremely it's at the resurrection that. Uh, God has proved who he is by coming as a man and rising from the dead. So uh, having taken my son through it, I thought, you know what, I wonder if there are other parents who might be helped um, by just having this story to set before their kids of this God contest so that hopefully our children don't just know that there is one true God and the Bible tells us so, but are excited about it and confident in it and able to stand on that truth as they have discussions with their friends, whether they're five or eight or 18 or 80. All right, I'm going to ask Carl Lafferton here in just a second um, to uh, to maybe help us um, equip our kids and ourselves. Um, like, how do we articulate our faith and belief in the one true God without putting other people down um, who believe different things? How can kids do that in classrooms where their teachers 
are advocating different beliefs. Um, but I want to tell everybody, I have copies. We have copies of um, this really good book, The God Contest, to give away today. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for the complimentary copies we have from The Good Book Company of The God Contest, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. So, Carl, um, what, are some, what are some suggestions, some helpful tips in terms of how we live confidently and then how we speak uh, truth in the context of conversations and relationships where people do believe differently? Yeah, that's a great question, Carmen. And um, it's it's one we need to ask, um, given that we live in the 21st century in, in the West. And I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I think with my kids, what I'm wanting to do and, and for myself as well is to uh, help them to interact positively in those conversations so that we don't just end up sounding like we're telling everybody else that they're wrong. And certainly we don't end up sounding like we're telling everybody else that we think we're better than they are because we worked it out and they didn't. And I think that's where narrative in the scriptures is so helpful because we can we can say to our kids and hope that they can say to their friends, hey, let me tell you about a, a an event in history that might help us think about this. Um, and, you know, if you're talking about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, you're immediately taking it out of the immediate situation of, you know, I, I've got a Muslim friend or a Hindu friend or whatever. And you're just taking them to, to a historical moment where there were many claim, different claims about who God was and wasn't. And there was only one God who was able to prove on the pages of history, as it were, um, that he is the one true God and therefore that he wins, if you like, the God contest. And I think if we can help ourselves and our kids to interact with our friends by taking them to a Bible narrative and saying, let's think about it in these terms, and then listening to them, inviting them to ask questions of the Bible story, asking them about what they believe and why they believe it and what historical evidence there is for um, as the basis for, for their worldview, then I think we can start to engage with them and crucially help our children to engage with them um, in a way that's positive and respectful. And the last thing I'd say is I think we've always got to remember that we're saved by grace through the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we didn't work it out ourselves. We're not cleverer. And we don't deserve to be on, you know, Team Jesus, as I put it in this kid's book. Um, we, are, we are saved by the work of the Spirit working in us to show us Jesus uh, and his grace. And it's crucially important that we keep reminding ourselves and our children of that uh, so that we never get into what our hearts want to do, which is to feel a little bit proud that we've got the answers and other people don't. All right, Carl Afferton, um, hopefully you can hang with me through a very brief break because I want to ask you about the connection between the story of Jesus and Elijah. Uh, sure, and I also want to ask about um, the people that are showcased in the book who um you know, they come at points in history uh, where they are witnesses for Christ. And that uh, I think that's a, a helpful thing for people to know about the book as well. All right. The book is The God Contest. Carl Lafferton is the author. And yes, I have copies to give away. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. This is a kid's book. This is a book you will read to kids and they will then uh, ultimately read to you. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Carl Lafferton, we're talking about uh, his book, The God Contest. It is a children's book. It is 
um, in a series of books by the Good Book Company. Uh, and yes, we're giving copies away. So if you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have available here in studio, text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, Carl, let's um, let's talk about the connection between Jesus and Elijah. Sure. I mean, uh, there are many um, because uh, the whole of the Old Testament points us to the Lord Jesus one way or another. The the connection I'm trying to make in this book is between the triumph of Yahweh, the God of the Bible, uh, by sending fire on uh, Mount Carmel, and then the triumph of that same God on Mount Zion by uh, coming as a man, promising uh, that once killed, he would rise again, and then offering the ultimate uh, evidence of his uh, reality and identity and exclusivity by uh, by doing exactly what he said he would do and rising on the third day. And so um, while I love the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, um, the book would be um, missing something crucial if, if we if we ended it there, um, because one of the things I'm trying to do in, in this book, and, and we always do in, in our books on the Old Testament, is is to say to kids, enjoy an Old Testament story and then see Jesus in it, because once you see Jesus in it, then you're reading the Bible properly. So um, I have a fairly precocious grandchild, and um, uh, she likes to point out the uh, the meeting that took place on the Mountain of Transfiguration between Jesus and Elijah and Moses, and that might be her favorite Elijah story. So when you ask her, like, you know, well, how do you feel about what happens in the God contest? She says, oh, how do you feel about what happens on the Mountain of Transfiguration? <laughs> I say, <laughs> well... Firstly, oh, okay. Firstly, there is there is that. <laughs> yeah. Firstly, you have a, an amazing granddaughter, and I think you should take credit um, as as her grandmother for that. Um, secondly, um, yeah. Do you know I really wanted to work it in, but I just thought three mountains would be no, too for a book this length. I do mention it. There's notes for parents on the back page, just in case this is picked up by parents who, uh, you know, haven't come across the 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 Old Testament narrative and so on. So I, I do mention the Mount uh, of Transfiguration, just because I think. Do you know, if I could, obviously, I think the resurrection, if I could go back to one moment in in, in the Bible and be transported, I, I, I'd love to go there. But I think the Mount of Transfiguration would be a close second because to have witnessed the Lord Jesus in his heavenly glory talking uh, with those two great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament. Wow, what a moment that must have been. So maybe maybe, maybe that's, you can tell grand, my grand, your, your granddaughter, maybe that's my next book will be uh, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I'm sure Catalina Echeverry, who illustrates all these books in this series, would have great fun. Uh, right? That, that would be event. awesome. That one would be awesome. And um, the other, if I could go back to one, I mean, you know, that that's hard to pick. Like, uh, But okay. I would love to have been present for the what we call the walk to Emmaus, because I would love to hear Jesus identify all the places in the Old Testament where we should be seeing him. Like, I just think that yeah. would be so cool. So that yeah. would, I, I once wrote an adult curriculum. Uh, it's a Bible overview. And um, yeah, I agree to to hear Jesus doing his Bible overview. Um, well, one day we will hear him do it in glory, but it would be right? cool to go back to Emmaus first. Yeah, You're totally right. cool. Totally cool. All right, Carl, um, there are uh, some people uh, who show up in this book that uh, are going to be a surprise to people. There are some people um, who are witnesses for Christ throughout history. Just talk about their inclusion um, in this book. Yeah, so one thing, as I said, the, the big reason for writing the book was to give kids confidence in who God is and that they can stand with confidence for him 
in in their you know school playgrounds, sports clubs, wherever they find themselves. And so one thing we wanted to do was show that you know they stand in a long line of witnesses as they as they witness for Christ. Um, and I think our kids are often going to feel on their own as they witness for Christ. They may be the only kid in their class who who has a living faith in the Lord Jesus. And so there's this wonderful spread. I think it's my favorite uh, page in the book that shows um, people who stood confidently and sacrificially for Christ through history from Phoebe and Thomas, uh, who, of course, uh, appear on the pages of the New Testament, all the way through to Elizabeth Elliot and Mahalia Jackson and Francis Schaeffer uh, in, in, the, in the 20th century. And loads of people, you know, from the first to the 20th century uh, of all ethnicities, some are missionaries, some are pastors, some were queens, some were paupers, just trying to show the kids that actually, as you stand in your school playground and say, I know that Jesus is the king, I know that Jesus is God, I know that he loves us and here's how, you are, you're part of a great story and a great thing that God has been doing through the generations. And so, I, yeah, I love that page. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned it because it, it always thrills me whenever I'm reading the book to someone and we, and we reach that page. It's fantastic. All right. Uh, Carl Lafferton is the author. The God Contest is the book. The Good Book Company is the publisher. Um, it's just delightful. And um, here's, um, here's a spoiler alert. God wins. God wins Amen. because God is. Right. There you go. So I just love it. Carl, uh, as always, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for what you're doing to equip all of us to then turn and equip the next generation uh, in ways that honor Jesus. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you. Thank you. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right, I'm going to do two quick headlines here at the end of the hour to equip you to walk your faith out into the world that God so loves uh, in ways that will honor Jesus. Um, and the first is out of uh, Houston, Texas. You're going to hear lots of headline news today about how the uh, winter storm is affecting people across the state of Texas. You're going to hear lots of, uh, of horrible stories. Um, in fact, you're going to, I'm confident, hear stories today uh, about people who, um, who have succumbed to the cold. Um, so I want to lift up one good news headline out of all of this and maybe give you encouragement to think about, you know, the ways in which you can use whatever resources God has placed within your hands with uh, under your stewardship and how you might use them um, for the good of your neighbors and to his glory. So there are people obviously across the Houston area um, whose homes are very, very cold. So featured in this story uh, is Tina Rios, her family, and hundreds of other people um, are at Gallery Furniture's showroom, um, and they are they have been um, welcomed in by the hospitality uh, of the owner of Gallery Furniture, um, Jim McElvale, and you um, are going to hear about him a lot, I am sure. And basically, he said, you know, look, it's um, this is what you do for your neighbors. Um, we've got uh, a lot of space. Um, he's known in the community as Mattress Mac. Uh, and these are people whose uh, whose homes were literally so frigid that, you know, they were seeing 
you know, seeing their seeing their breath. You guys know what that's like uh, sometimes. So he said, uh, we have the responsibility for the well-being of our community. We think this is our responsibility. Uh, he gave this interview uh, as he was walking around the store, greeting people, offering them donuts and kolaches, which are Czech pastries uh, popular in this part of Texas. And let me tell you, I like me a good kolache, if you are uh, wondering. All right, and then one other quick story. You're going to hear today that... Um, uh, that life expectancy has decreased by a full year, it, just in the first six months of 2020 in terms of statistics. And let me just say that the life expectancy of a Christian is eternal. What does it look like today for us to declare um, that reality to a world that's literally dying to know? What does it look like for you to declare the reality that your life expectancy is eternal in the midst of a world dying to know? All right. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.